It's good to have you guys online with us this morning. I'm Tom McDermott. For you all who are visiting for the first time, I don't know that we have anybody for the first time in here today, but it's good to see you all that are with us. Um, also, if you are here for the first time, if I'm missing it and, and just didn't notice that, then go pick up a mug at the end, right? one of these uh, tumblers that we have for you. And if you haven't done that but you've been visiting, you need to get one. We've got a bunch of new ones in now, and Marty back there will help you out. Sign up your registration online. Sign up in here, please. Let us know you're here. Find that on your card. Scan it on the bulletin. You can do it online and uh, let us know that you were here. This morning, I want to make just a couple of quick announcements. First of all, if you haven't got the app, get the app. It's the First United Methodist Church app. It also has our information on there. And so you can... um, Just go to your iOS app store, go to your Apple app store, go to your Android app store for your phone or your iPad, won't work on your computer, and download it, and then you can keep up with us. It always tells us when stuff, tells you when stuff's coming out, when the archive is up with the new, with the most recent services on there, or the past services, and other information. So you can check that online there. Also, there's a place online, and then of course here, if you would like to make an offering, we appreciate your support for this ministry and for the First United Methodist Church ministry, and then... I think that is it for the most part. Tuesday night, I hope some of y'all can join us. We'll be having some great conversation, I'm sure, after this morning. And um, we always meet at the Wine House. Information on the back there as well as a code to scan for you to get involved. If you want to be greeting or if you want to come up here and be part of the readers that come up here and do reading, then uh, that's where you scan and you have some places to sign up. So, all right, all of that information. Good to see you all here this morning. This morning, we're going to be talking about... Um, we're continuing this series that I've been calling Uncertain Tour Part Du, because we are actually, I've done the Uncertain Tour in the past, talking about uncertainty, but this particular time I wanted to get a little more in-depth into what, what would that mean if we sort of reframe how we understand God or divinity or the sacred in our midst, wherever we are on that path of sort of rethinking, reframing our faith and our, and our understanding of those concepts. Rather than throw them out the window, if we just don't find them meaningful anymore, there are ways to, re-enli- to kind of re-enliven things, to rethink and reframe. So this is what the part two is all about, rethinking this. And last week we talked about God as the very ground of our being and what that, would, what that might be. And so I decided for the next several Sundays we're going to do some more sort of hands-on, experiential kinds of being present to what that would mean. I mean how would we embody this idea that we live in the midst and move and have our being in the holy. How, what does that even look like? And how does that look like, how does that look when we're actually in the day-to-day kinds of conflicts that we find ourselves in, or the tension that we find ourselves in, or the angst and the anxiety or the depression? All these things, what would that even mean then if we're not sort of expecting a Santa kind of God to come in and save us, a supernatural intervening kind of reality? Just conjecture. Then what does it mean? How do we participate in God here and now? So this morning, we're talking about how we listen for God. So it's a mixture of some story, some song, and some participation. So here's your participation. You ready for this? We're starting right off. Over here, y'all are going to be doing this. Really easy. There you go. And stop. Y'all over here are going to be going like this. We call that the jingle bell beat. Real easy. Just jingle bell. And stop. The band behind me, because they're so sophisticated, they're going to be doing what we call the four and a rhythmic syncopated beat. 
right? The four and. So one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four and one and two, three and four. Okay, you got that? Okay. Y'all ain't getting any time to rehearse on this because the spirit moves when we give ourselves over to it willingly. So we'll start and then you just repeat after me. You have to be a call and response. Okay? So if the four count will start up, here you go. Clap, 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 clap. And then if the jingle bell will get ready, jingle bells, jingle bells. There you go. And if they're all behind, one and two and three and four and one and two and three and Well, life is like a story. That's your part. Well, life is like a story. If you keep it to yourself, it's boring. If you keep it to yourself, it's boring. If you give it away, you get a whole lot more. Got a better story than you had before. Try it again. Life is like a story. If you keep it to yourself, it's boring. But you give it away, you get a whole lot more. Got a better story than you had before. Everybody stop at the band. Yeah. Glad to have you all here this morning. Beneath these velvet gloves, 
Cause I have the shameful crooked hands of a money lender Cause I still remember Angle wants a voice Voices I want to sing Singers harmonize Till they can't hear anything I thought that I was free The mom that questioned me But every time a problem is I don't know what begins And the storms of harmony Beautiful morning, a little cloudy, but love that breeze, huh? Uh, I want us all to join together and say our, our morning greeting, the welcome candle. Have it here for you. And this is, our, this is our thought, this is our hope, this is who we are. Come, come, whoever you are. Wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving, it doesn't matter. Ours is not a caravan of despair. 
Come, even if you have broken your vows a thousand times, come yet again. Thank you, Sharon. Yo, 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 good morning, 1111. Good morning. Whoa! Would y'all stand and sing a song with us? It would be so fantastic. Here we go. It's a Peter Mayer song called Singing a Song. And this is the time to uh, bring your offering on up to the table if you have one. All right, here we go, y'all. sing right here we know this river always keeps flowing we will be rowing our whole lives long and we may never know where we're going but we can go there singing a song that's right just like a mother to a child she's holding. Just like a soldier marching along. Just like the faithful on Sunday morning. Raising our voices, singing a song. Oh yeah, come on. Now, eyes will shine. Right. Arms will hold but not as tight When a word is only spoken So give it feeling, give it right Play it in for a quarter time Sing it with the heart wide open Sing of the beauty Right there beside you Bring it inside you, making you strong, so that when trouble, it comes round to greet you, still it will leave you, singing a song. Pick it, Kevin, it's a booger. Here we go again, y'all ready? Eyes will shine but not as bright Arms will hold but not as tight When a word is only spoken So give it feeling, give it rhyme Play it in for a quarter time Sing it with the heart wide open and may the music of life overtake us Till angels mistake us for heavenly throng And may that joyful sound be our shelter And find us together singing a song We'll be together Singing a song. 
Yeah. Y'all, I'm not even making this up. I look forward to singing with y'all every week. I think I speak for the whole band. It's the highlight of our week to get to sing with you guys every time. And when it's a big song like that, we all know, it's the coolest thing ever. You know? I love it. Would y'all take a moment? Yeah, it's awesome. Would y'all just take a moment and offer one another a sign of peace? And we're going to keep playing while y'all do that. This begins our Kairos time. It's a little more uh, thoughtful moment of the uh, service. And while you're sitting down, we're going to invite y'all to sing this, uh, this very groovy tune with us. goes right here. Out beyond I 
ideas of wrongdoing and right doing. Then disappear, I'll meet you there. We'll sing that again. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing. There is a fear, I'll meet you there. Now the verse. And the soul lies down in that grass. The world is too full to talk about ideas and language. Even the phrase each other, it doesn't make any sense. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a fear I'll meet you there. Once again. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a fear I'll meet you there. And the soul lies down in that grass. The world is too full to talk about ideas and language even the phrase each other it doesn't make any sense now just our voices out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing there is a field, I'll meet you there. So this is our Kairos time, and today I'm inviting Tom McDermott to join me. And I'm going to, Ella, is Ella in here? I think I saw Ella. Ella, Ella would you like to come up and help too? I'm yeah. going to ask you to... Help ring this bowl in just a minute. Okay. Let me give you time to get set I'll up. give you that. And then there's that. And Ella, in just a minute, when it's time, I just want you to hold the bowl out like that and just ring it like that. Okay? All right. Actually, do it with this side. Oh, that's better. Yeah, okay. That's better. Yeah, ring it with that end. So hold the bowl in there. There you go. We're set. So Tom told me that today we're going to explore silence and sounds as a part of our spirituality, ask questions about that. I don't know what else we'll hear. But today, in Cairo's time, which is our quiet time, the time between what happened and what will happen, I am going to invite you to sit and listen only to the sounds of the singing bowl. But do get nice and straight in your seat, shoulders over hips, Make plenty of space for your breathing because we are going to breathe and listen. And so let's begin now. Take a couple of deep breaths. 
Gentle exhales. Deep breath. And gentle exhale. And just lie down in that grass we spoke, we sang about. As you inhale and as you exhale slowly, what I want you to invite you to do is to learn how to discriminate sound. We're bombarded all the time with news, with opinions, with bias, with noise and traffic. And the one thing we forget is our power to discern the sounds we hear, to separate and to own the sounds we need to own and let go of the others. So as you hear the dissonance in these bells, I invite you to listen for what resonates with you. Let's take one deep breath together, a slow exhale, and we give thanks for listening. Amen. Psalm 150, adapted a work in progress by our own Reverend Tom McDermott. Life. Isn't it exciting? Traffic in the delightful humming vibrating in this very moment. Give your very substance and soul to the delight. Give it away freely as it is freely given across all space and time. 
traffic in the creativity that moves in everything and everywhere. Give yourself to the abundance of this love that invites greater love into this space. Traffic in it with loud horns from the highest places. Traffic in it with soft strings and attentive harmonies. Move about freely in its love with dance and softness and with banjos, guitars, violins, and ocarinas. Traffic in this love with percussion and rhythm and the clear resonant tones of bells as well as the crashing of trash cans, cymbals, chaos. Listen, for its sound is everywhere as every breath at every level of life and death gives voice to the sound of love's delight. Thank you, Bill. Um, so I, I've, as I've taught in here and talked about in here, you know, a lot of what I've been about for the last 10 years being involved with 1111 in, in terms of its leadership is, is about reframing, re rethinking how we understand things. And so much that's gone around with deconstruction has always felt like for a lot of people, maybe some of you online as well, that, you know, you're just sort of dismissing old ideas and old thoughts and just sort of throwing it out the window as if that doesn't make any sense anymore. There's really nothing else there. But in, in truth, there's always something there. It's always been there. It's all around the world. Every single religious tradition speaks to something that speaks to the essence of their humanity and their struggles and their joys and their delights. And so how do we find and reframe that for our own traditions in a way that still hangs to the tradition some, still holds on to that, but at the same time speaks in a fresh new way, perhaps. And so I play with Scripture. Yes, I do. I confess. I play with Scripture. And, and it's because I am passionate about trying to understand it in a new way that speaks to where we are in the midst of quantum physics, in the midst of the 21st century, in the midst of all the, the weirdness and the tradition and the history 2,000 years later that we live in now. So if you look up the word praise, the etymology of it is actually to traffic in. Isn't that interesting? We think of praise as something we project, but it's actually to get in the midst of it, to mess in it, to live in it, to traffic in it. And the trafficking has that sense of that you are both in the midst of it and you're also selling it. You're also participating in it in a kind of passion that in the midst of not knowing, you're still in there passionately engaging because you're trafficking in this mystery of life and delight and even death. How do we do that? So I kind of played with the psalm, and I hope it speaks to you in the same way that it, spoke to, that it speaks to me. So we're talking about sound, this first of our senses that we're going to explore. How do we embody what it means to be in the midst of the ground of the one in whom we live and move and have our being? And so this morning, it's about sound. Not just listening, but creating sound too. And discerning sound, right? Learning how to hear different things. Um, I, I came across this quote that was uh, Claude Debussy. I hope I'm saying that right. Claude Debussy who said, the music is in the silence between the notes. You've heard that quote probably quoted by different people. I think he was the one that it's most credited with. The music is in the silence between the notes. When the band hit that last beat, 
that four and beat. That's when the music happened. The rest of it, we're all caught up in it, but when we actually hear is when we stop long enough to listen. Martin Luther King Jr. put it this way, music is the art of the prophets, the only art that can calm the agitations of the soul. Or Carolyn Miss, who's the psychologist and therapist and sound and, and creative artist, she said, the soul always knows what to do to heal itself. The challenge is to silence the mind in order to begin to hear the healing that's already taking place. So when I was in uh, uh, um, Minnesota years and years ago, years ago, and I was at a storytelling conference, and a Jewish storyteller got up and she told a story. It was a beautiful little story about a Jewish rabbi, and uh, I think it was the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic faith, 17th century, and he was, trained, he was dissemin disseminating last teachings to all the different disciples that were following him, and one of the last of the disciples was looking around as all of them got the good stuff, you know, like they get to take care of the money, they get to take care of the teaching, they get to take care of this thing or that thing, and they have the important roles, and the last disciple was given the, ch was given the task of telling stories. Tell the stories about the rabbi, about the Baal Shem Tov, about the community, and the, and the guy was like, I, really, that's all? I'm just going to go around and tell stories? That, I mean, how boring is that going to get after a while? But the rabbi said, you'll know. The Baal Shem Tov said, you'll know when you need to stop. But just that's your job. So that's what he did. And as the story goes, I'll skip ahead, but as the story goes, <clears throat> and as she's telling it, the story involved him going to a Christian community. We're in the 17th century, so in Eastern Europe, a Christian, predominantly Christian community. Jews were not very well liked. Uh, there was a lot of uh, anti-Semitism that has been a part of the Christian tradition over the centuries. And in that particular part of the city, they live in a small part of the vi uh, village just in, the, in sort of one part of the city. Whenever there was a great parade that would happen around Easter time, that's when Jews typically went and hid. They just kind of hid out, celebrated the Passover and whatever in their own private spaces. But the Baal Shem Tov was visiting in that city with that disciple and with others, and he told the folks in, that were hiding in their, in their uh, little hut there, he said, I'm going to go out in just a minute and stop the governor. He was a Christian. And he said, I'm going to stop the governor. I have something to say to him. And they're like, okay, well, you're going to get killed. And this isn't a good thing. Anyway, he goes out there and he stops the governor and he says something to him. And the governor comes into the hut and they're all sitting there thinking they're all going to be surrounded and arrested or something. But the governor comes in alone with the Belsham top. They go to a back room after about an hour they go back out, the governor gets back in the parade, and the parade continues with the Christian marching and such. And the rabbi says, we can go back home to our village. And they leave out the back way, and they go back home. The young woman's telling this story, and in, 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 every now and then she's interjecting some of her own story about her mother and about some of the challenges that she's had as a young Jewish woman and now a married Jewish woman and living in her own sense of what it means to be Jewish, not at all along with the Orthodox tradition that her mother and father were part of. A lot of tension a lot of brokenness, and every now and then she would stop. In the middle of the story, she taught us something that was, is called a nigun. Nigun is a kind of song that Jews or Jewish people or those of similar persuasion that just like doing that kind of thing might sing as a sort of encouragement, as a sort of way of bolstering yourself up. Do you have an F chord? Yeah, so it went something like this. La die 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 Y'all try that with me. La die 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 La da die 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 La die 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 La da 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 die 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 
The second part went like this. And then it would repeat. Every now and then she would just break the story and she would start singing that. And then we'd all join in. And it sort of rallied us as if we were holding her up at the same time while she was telling this story that obviously got harder and harder for her to tell for some reason. And as she was telling the story, I couldn't help but sense my own story as I was listening to her story, as we were listening to the story of the rabbi, Belshemtoff, who had confronted the governor, the Christian governor. As the story, story ended, that disciple told stories all around the world after the rabbi died, all around the, uh, Eastern Europe, I mean. And as he traveled, he finally found himself telling the story over and over to the same people. They'd heard it many, many times. Fewer and fewer people were interested. Fewer and fewer people were paying for it until finally he found himself without anyone interested in listening in the belt, to the Beltantoff stories. Nobody cared. And then the woman began singing. La da 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 la da da di da di da di da la da 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 la da da di da di da 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 di da 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 di di da da di da di di da da di da 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 la da 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 di da 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 di di da 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 di di da 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 she got to the end of the story the disciple found himself at some wealthy, uh, noble, noble person's house, palace, and apparently the rumor was this person loved any kind of story about the Belsham talk. He was an old man now. And so the disciple went to the house, and he, when he sat down, the guy was so excited to see him, let him in, sat him down, and they had a big feast. But, he, but the disciple couldn't think of one story at that point. He just went cold, couldn't think of one story. Sat there and he said, I actually knew the Belgium top. I'm not lying to you. And this royal nobleman was like, that's okay, that's okay. Just stay and think about it, maybe tomorrow. After two days, the disciple could not think of one story to tell this, this, this nobleman. And he was embarrassed and ashamed, and he started to leave. And as he was going out the door, he remembered a story. And the story he told was the very story that I just told you that she had told me about the time the Belgium top confronted the Christian uh, governor in that parade. And as the disciple was telling the story about that time, he looked over suddenly when he came to an end and noticed that the nobleman was shaking his head and his head was bent down and his hands over the table. And the disciple said, I'm sorry. And honestly, as the young woman was telling this story, her face began to tear up. And the nobleman looked at the disciple and said, as she told me, she said, you don't understand. The story you just told me was my story. I was that nobleman. And the Belshemtoff told me in the back of that room that day where you were all gathered that on the day that I hear my story, I will understand that I have been made whole. La da di di da da. La da da di da di da di da 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 di di da da la da da di da di da. I went up to that woman afterwards and I told her that I knew of that story, but I'd never heard that story told like that before. And then I sat down and I shared my story because not long before that I'd had a midlife crisis. I've had many midlife crises since. This one was seminal, but. 
they all seem to have their own import, you know, when they arrive. But this one I told her about, and she just smiled, and tears came to her eyes again as if we'd both begun to hear our own story. I had traveled to Ireland. My son Tim, who's here, was just barely a couple of years old. He and his mother came over with me to Ireland back in 1993. I took my bike over there. I'd been training for it. And I did a 30-day cycling trip around Ireland by myself, ending up in the northwest corner of Ireland in, in, the, in, in the Donegal County in Glen Columkill, a small little village. And it was about a 600-mile trip all total. We spent about seven days there as a family. My, Linda would tell me later on that she and Tim got on the airplane and as they were flying back. She looked at him and she started getting tears in her eyes and she said, I just left your, your dad in a country where he knows nobody but some nun named Mary Carmichael in a village somewhere <laughs> that he was told about at a school in San Antonio to look for. And he has no, there was no cell phone or anything, right? It was all, it was all pay phones and stuff. And the trip was beautiful. And all along the way, I'm trying to sort of, it's my own personal sort of journey, my own way of sort of trying to reconcile and connect myself with my father in a lot of ways. He was born in Ireland, so I had these Irish roots. It was a beautiful trip. Towards the end of the trip, I found myself in Galway, and I decided for some reason, just because it was there, that I was going to take a ferry across to the Aran Islands. There's three of them. They sit out in, in Galway Bay. Some of you know that. Some of you have probably been to Innismore where it's most famous for Dunangus, the fortress that sits half still standing on the very cliff's edge, about 350 feet above the Atlantic, crashing into the east to the western wall of the island of Ennismore. And it was late. I caught a late ferry going out there, so it was just a small ferry, like, more like just a large skiff with a motor on it. And I put my bike in there, and two other people got in there, a young woman and, and her partner, a guy, and they got in the boat too, so it was just the three of us. And the ferryman was one of these crusty-looking individuals who just kind of smiled at us, and I couldn't tell if he was smiling because he thought we were idiots or if he thought this was going to be a lot of fun. But he said as we got closer to this island and as it got a little more dark and dusky, he says, have you ever been to Inismar? And I said, well, no, I haven't. I haven't. Well, then, do you know why you're coming over here? And I said... Well, no. And he said, so you're just going with you don't know what you're doing. And I said, well, I, I mean, I have my bicycle. He says, well, that's good. <laughs> and I said, so there's a road, right? He said, there is a road. There's only one place to stay. You made a reservation, didn't you? And I said, no. And, of course, I looked back at the couple, and they looked at me, and they said, but you know, the whole trip, I'd basically just taken my chances going along from one village to the next, and I'd found a bed and breakfast and such. I said, I'll be fine. He says, well, you be careful then if you'll be fine. If you're just going to look around for a bit, I'm only here for 30 minutes. This is the last ferry going back. I won't see you till the morning. I said, well, I think I'll be okay. And he comes up to the dock, and there's a big steep hill with a road. There's a little pub right there beside the water. And then you can't see anything at the top. It's just flat across the top, no trees, just a windswept area. And so he said, as I'm getting off the boat and I'm kind of putting the tire back on and I'm starting to take up the road, he says, the only thing I tell you, son, is mind your step. It's a big drop on the other side. <laughs> so I said, thank you. And I took the, took the road and I went cycling around, around Innismore. It got late, and I didn't bother to go to the hostel. I decided I'd better see what I could see before it got too dark. And it was just a long road that literally went around the outside, the perimeter of the island. But as I came back towards the other direction, heading back then towards, towards Galway, essentially, 
I was heading back on the island, and I saw a little gate. It was in 1993. There was a small little wooden hut, and then there was a gate and a pathway that led up the side of the hill. And on the gate, I saw a bicycle kind of leaning against it, and I thought, well, you know, nobody's stealing bikes here on this island. So I leaned up my bike, and I thought, I'll just take the trail. And it said Dunangus with a small print in, in Gaelic, and I thought, well, this must be where the fort is. Then as I made my way past the gate and up the ways a little bit, there it was, a little sign on the side, and I swear all it said was, mind your step. La die 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 So it was about a 15 minute hike or so. And here's this funny thing. As I'm walking along this hike, not exactly knowing where it's going, I just know it's going to go to the other side of the island at some point. I'm walking up, and there's walls made of stone on either side of me, and then the pastures are basically just stone walls. But in the pastures, is the, I mean, there's a couple over there, and it's getting dark, and they're kind of laying next to each other in an intimate sort of fashion. And then as I keep hiking, I see another couple over here. And I thought, what's happening here? It's like rabbits. There are couples everywhere dotted in these barren, hard fields as night's coming on. And I'm thinking, where else are they going to go? It's all flat. And so they're just out there as it's getting dark. And I'm making my way up this trail, heading towards what I don't know as I see these other people in love all along the way. And I pass through this first wall of stone that must have been the outer ring of the fort. And then I hike a little bit further, and there's no sign of anyone. And it's getting darker. And I'm thinking about this woman's song in my head because I'm thinking, this is kind of, I need a little bit of encouragement. And I get to the inner wall, which is about a six-foot-tall, four or five-foot-wide wall arched, the stones only going about a third to two-thirds of the way in one direction, a third the other direction, and then the sky is so gray, it's not nighttime yet, it's about 11 o'clock though, 10.30, the sun hadn't completely set, it's so gray that I can't distinguish the edge from the, from the sky. And as I walk out onto where I am now, it's all granite, so I'm standing on some broken up granite something, a surface, and then I hear it. This sound of thunder, but it's not raining, but it's rhythmic, and I think that has to be the Atlantic Ocean knocking on my door. So I get down on my knees, and I get down on my belly, and I crawl for the next 15 yards. I can't even see where the edge is. And as I crawl to the edge, I look over, and it's just enough, night, enough light in the night that I can look over the edge, and I can see the waves crashing 350 feet down below. And my breath is just sucked out of me for a moment as I'm sitting here in this spot, on this cliff's edge, all by myself except for several preoccupied couples about 200 yards away. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, there is no way I'm going to stand at this moment. I didn't even sit. For the longest time, I just lay there with my head over the edge. I was terrified. And then it occurred to me, this was my father's homeland. This was my grandfather and grandmother's homeland. This was the homeland of my ancestry on my father's side. 
when my grandmother came over to America because her family disinherited her because she married a Catholic and she was Protestant. And she was also pregnant. And so my father, who was born in Ireland a few months after their marriage, he made his way over with his mom. His father was already in America. He'd already come over six months earlier before she'd even delivered and gone over to try to find work north of Massachusetts in a little town called Lowell. My grandmother made her way over not knowing where she was headed. And I was sitting there thinking about all of this mystery and all this wonder and where we find ourselves in these times when things seem dark and unknown and mysterious. And then I decided my problem was I needed to face my own fear. So I turned around and I sat there on the edge. And as soon as I did, I was transported back 30 years. 1963. The very night that my father had thrown me in a garage, in our garage in San Antonio on Lilac Lane. One, once again, that night I had lost it. I had just started screaming in the middle of the night. My father and my mother were fighting. They were screaming. They were yelling. And I had seen monsters all around me. And I ran out of my bedroom and I was running down the hall once again screaming. And as I was screaming, my father came out of nowhere and not knowing exactly what he had been thinking or where he had been with his mind, he was in a panic as well. My mother running behind him. And once again, he had grabbed me by the arm, but this time took me downstairs. And this time sat me in the chair. And this time began slapping me until he said, you've got to stop. You've got to stop. And he took me and he threw me into the garage. La, die, dee, dee, die, die. I started singing that song as I sat there because that memory came back out of nowhere as I'm looking across the Atlantic towards where the United States would be. And I suddenly think to myself, why do Jews have such sad songs? Why is it always such a sad melody? And I remembered right then that joke about the woman who's on the beach and her son is drowning out there in the ocean. She says, God, Lord, please save my son. And suddenly he comes up out of the water and he's washed ashore to safety and he stands up and he's okay. He's waterlogged, but he's okay. And she looks at her son and she looks up at the heavens and she says, he had a hat. <laughs> and I think about my son. My son, Tim. And we're at my father's place in Belize. And it's seven, eight years later. And my son's now seven, eight, nine years old. And the people that my father lined up for us to go snorkeling had never been trained. They just had a boat. And we go out to the reef, and my son and I jump in the water. And we go snorkeling. And then suddenly we look back after about 20 minutes. And we're more than 200 yards away from the boat, out in the open ocean. You can't see the bottom. We're being carried away by a current. And suddenly, I start to panic. My son starts to panic. Both of us are starting to struggle in the water. My son, in fact, starts to choke at that point. 
and I, and I try to grab my son to hold him up, and he's choking, and he's starting to go down. And you know what happens when you try to save someone else who's drowning? You, they start to drag you down, and now we're in this panic situation where it suddenly occurred to me in the flash of an eye that I might not, that we both might not make it. He's out of control, and I grab him by his collar, and I, and I slap him. I slap my son, and he's stunned, and he slaps me back. And we both wake up, and then we notice there's a buoy, maybe 50, maybe 50 yards, not even that. And I said, we're going to make it, we're going to do fine, and I grab him and the two of us dog paddle and struggle our way to the buoy, and we look over, and it's another snorkeling party that sees us, and they come over and they pick us up. I wake up. I got up from standing there on the cliff, took a deep breath. Made my way back down. It's dark now. I just imagine there must be 10 couples over here, 20 couples over there. Everybody's making love and having fun out in the dark on the hard cliffs, I mean on the hard rocky uh, surface. I get back on the bike and I ride over to the hostel, which is now about 1130 at night. But everyone's down in the main room and they're having, you know, Guinness and whatnot and enjoying themselves. And sure enough, they say, if there's not a room, we'll find a space for you somewhere on one of our floors. And so that night I slept there, but before I did, I called my wife. I called Linda. Seven hours difference, so it's about 4.30 there. And Linda says, she's in a panic. I kid you not, she's in a panic when she answers the phone. She says, I just woke up from a nap. Are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I said, why? She said, I don't know. I just was in a dream, and then I woke up with a start and a panic. And I, I, you're okay. And I said, I'm great. Next morning... 9 a.m., we've had our breakfast. The ferryman's back there at the, at the dock. I get in the boat, and he's laughing. I don't know if he's laughing because five or six of the people are pretty hungover from the night before. Or if he's laughing because he looks at me and something looks different. But as I get in the boat, he says, well, what would you think of the place? And I said, well, it's kind of flat. But that other side is pretty scary. He says, I told you to mind your step. I said, I did. I said, it was amazing. He smiled. We took the boat back. To make it right
Come on. That was fun. You know, I, Billy Collins uh, used to be poet lord of the United States. You know, he was the poet lord of this country for a while, long time. I don't know how many of you know Billy Collins. It just reminded me of something as I was sitting there listening to this. And I was thinking about our good friend, Linda Loney. Many of you know Linda Loney. And uh, who's been dealing with a lot of stuff. And he was at home. My wife and I got to go visit with him. And I was thinking of this Billy Collins poem. Uh, Lynn has been sending out on Facebook his little uh, videos of his owl calling. Some of you have seen some of that. So he'll, he's got a little hoot, hooter, hoot, hoot, whistle thing. And he's got a couple of them, gave me one. And so he was out calling the other night as we were there. And sure enough, owls came in. And then they started arguing with each other. And then he would call out. And then they'd come over thinking he was one of the female owls. And then, you know, they'd be disappointed. And they'd go flying back off to the other. And it was so much fun to be there. And I thought of this Billy Collins poem who said, a simple poem called Children. And it says, I saw that there was a movie entitled Children. But I really love the way the announcer announced it. Children playing everywhere. That's really what it means to traffic in delight. So as you go from this place this week, listen for the sounds. And then find out how you're going to traffic in it. And create something else in that space. Bringing life to life. Let's stand. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks to my son, I'd never told that story before, and now he got to hear it for the first time. And now you got to hear it for the, I got to hear it for the first time. <laughs> so, so thanks for that. Good to have him here for that. Um, you guys, love you. Have a great week. Find all the ways you can to resonate with the ground of your very being and see if you can't reflect that outward. Bless you. See you next time. <laughs>